the cheetah is swimming in the ocean. I repeat, there is a cheetah out there swimming in the middle of the ocean. Ladies and gentlemen, Tyreek Hill, the cheetah, is now a Miami Dolphin. Wow. Now we know why they call this time of year a free agency frenzy. We got unretirements. Hi, Tom. We got comeback tours. Hey, Aaron. We got divorces. What's up, Russ? We have reunions. Devontae and Derek. D-Block. Back in Vegas. And now, out of nowhere, from the middle of the ocean, Reek is now swimming with the fins. Honestly, the hardest part about this show is going to be deciding which stories to break down. Today was supposed to be another NBA day. We're going to stick with NBA, but let me quickly discuss the odds that shifted in this Tyreek trade. The Chiefs. Their odds to win their division dropped from plus 125 to plus 140. Not too big of a change. Their odds to win the AFC Conference and reach the Super Bowl were and are plus 350. That remained the exact same. Their Super Bowl winning odds dropped from plus 750 to now plus 900. Going from the team with the second highest odds to now third, dropping below Brady and the Bucks. On a previous episode, we discussed how right now in the AFC, we are staying clear of most futures bets. And this news doesn't change anything on that front. However, there was another small splash in the AFC that I think is definitely worth noting. That guy, Matt Ryan, is now an Indianapolis Colt. I really like this. I think Ryan is still a very good quarterback. He's at the point where he's a former MVP who's underrated. The Colts now have a very steady quarterback, a top three run game in the NFL, and a top 10 defensive unit as well. This is a playoff team. I see value here, and although I'm not betting it yet, let's keep an eye on this. The Colts sit at eighth best odds to win the AFC. Like I said, I believe this is a playoff team, and there aren't eight teams that make the AFC playoffs. I like them more than the Titans to win their division. Currently, they are tied with odds at plus 125. Now, I haven't made a play yet because I'm waiting on two things. I'm waiting for the line for the Colts to make the playoffs to become available. They could secure a wild card spot. I think they will be a playoff team, so I want to see where the line sits for them to just make the playoffs. The other thing I'm waiting for is their season win total, and I will likely play the over if it comes in at anything 9 or less. This is something to watch. The Colts are a good team making good roster moves, but it comes without a big newsy splash. That might actually benefit us betters. I love when I really like a team that has very little national narrative. This fits the bill for the current Colts team. Okay, enough NFL. Because at the end of the day, it's March. We are months from the NFL season. And although they're having a dominant storyline offseason, any bets we make are going to be tying up money in our account, and we won't be seeing any payouts for a long time. So on today's episode, we're going to discuss the NBA awards races. Things like MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year. We're going to see where those odds sit with like 10 games left or so for each team and see if any of those awards are worth betting. And we're also going to do a Western Conference playoff preview. I'm going to be joined by my friend Gibby. 
who also has some pretty amazing futures tickets already in play. So we're going to look at the tickets that he already has and talk about hedging opportunities and whether or not that is the right move based on the value that he already has in his back pocket. So again, NBA awards, is it worth betting now? Is it worth hedging if you already have something? Western Conference playoff preview, and hopefully no more wild NFL stories in the next hour, please. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with Gib. All right. Welcome back. We're now joined by Gib. Thanks, Gib, for coming on The Advantage. Happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So for people who don't know, Gibby is, I think, well, are you like my first friend ever? How do we, when we met when we were like three or four? First grade. So we were, no, we were six, five or six, Miss Poppy's class. All right. Miss Poppy's class, fifth grade, first grade, and been best friends ever since. What we actually do do together every off season, it's now become an annual tradition, is that Gibby and I hop on the phone for like an hour, hour and a half, however long it takes, and we go through all the NFL futures together, generally after our fantasy draft, so we don't give each other away our secrets of which players that we're leaning towards, and we make some combined bets together. Gib, do you want to give us a quick recap of how we did last season? Yeah, uh, so each of us would put in $500 each. We ended up up $3, so each of us got $3 back, so... Pretty much even. A um, couple of the, the bets that we had that we won, we'll start with what we won, what, what went well. Uh, so first, the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Big bet, big win there for us. Um, the odds there, we had we put in 40, plus 1,400, made 600 on that. So great, great bet there. Um, the Trevor Lawrence, most interceptions, he split that. It was a dead heat reduction with, uh, Stafford, good bet there, and then we won a couple of uh, spread games throughout the season uh, that we put in pretty early on. But the rest of the bets we we put in, we lost. We tried to ride the the Panthers pretty hard. You know they were doing good to start three zero, uh, but then kind of fell off. Uh, you know after Darnold, we don't know yeah, what McCaffrey happened. McCaffrey got hurt in week two. It absolutely ruined my fantasy season. And then Darnold, from then on, they actually still won in week three. The Panthers started out three and zero. I remember I was going crazy. Uh, I think we had like we definitely had them above eight wins, and I think we even might have had them at like an alternate line above like ten and a half wins. And it was looking fantastic. And then all of a sudden, just I think Darnold. I, I heard the stat recently in his last. Uh, 24 starts he has 18 touchdowns and 24 interceptions so i think we got maybe seven of those touchdowns in the first three weeks and then all 24 of those interceptions afterwards looking back now the one the one the one bet that we could have won that was close was the mac jones for rookie of the year which he ended up losing he ended up losing that in like the last week of the season too because jamar chase had some crazy ridiculous finish yeah, when he had like 250, that, that game he had like 250 in week 16 or week 17. It was crazy. I remember Mac was like a minus 400 odds uh, prior to that. But that's actually a great discussion to bring up. That's a great note to bring up for later because Evan Mobley's a huge favorite in the Rookie of the Year awards this year. And I'm just, one of my big questions is, does he already have it in the bag? Or is there a late 10 game, last 10 game of the season resurgence that maybe Cade Cunningham or Scotty Barnes can somehow pull off that award? given how much of a favorite he is right now. But, uh, Gib, let's quickly talk about this season. Before you came on, uh, I did a quick opening about Tyreek Hill being traded 
away from the Chiefs, and I discussed how it impacted or very little impact on the Chiefs' future odds. Let's take this quickly to Miami. Do we think there's a big impact on the Miami Dolphins in their outlook this season? Do we think that Tua can get him the ball deep where he's best? Does he have that kind of arm strength? Does he have that arm power? I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think. I don't. I, I think the bigger impact is how does it impact Jalen Waddle? I don't think it lets them win the Super Bowl. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put. I wouldn't put the bet there. I wouldn't bet for them to win the uh, the division. So certainly not. I, you mentioned certainly not to win the Super Bowl. I don't think Tua is a Super Bowl quarterback yet. The division. They're in the division with. Josh Allen and the Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills. And along with the up-and-coming Mac Jones, Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots. There is a fourth team. I think they're called the New York Jets. They might play in the NFL sometimes. They're sometimes a minor league uh, football team as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to see how the Dolphins can kind of crack those top two teams, especially coming off an offseason where... They're replacing their coach in somewhat of a coaching scandal where the coach was uh, accusing the owner of purposely having them lose. So I don't think right now, even though they've made a few splashes in free agency, I wouldn't be jumping to bet on a team to win that's coming into the season with a history of the owner asking them to lose. Seems counterintuitive. Um, Gib, you th- any thoughts there with kind of a new coach and the, the, the scandals that the owners and the front office is having? Does that impact what's happening on the field at all? I was thinking about this and thinking about the new coach that they have, and he's this is his first this is his first head coaching job, right? Um, and thinking, does that impact um, their odds to win? And I think it does, right? Especially in this division, I, I haven't seen new coaches be able to be super successful against Belichick. Uh, and win the AFC East, right? It's, it's just like, it doesn't happen. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. We'll see. Historically, the Dolphins are the one team that does have a decent handle on the New England Patriots. But again, that was under Brian Flores, who was a Bill Belichick disciple. This not so much with the new coach. Um, so yeah, we'll really see. I don't think Gibby or myself at this point in the season, is jumping to put any money on the Miami Dolphins. Kind of like Gibby said, this we'll see how the arrival of Tyreek Hill might affect Jalen Waddle from maybe a fantasy standpoint or maybe a most receptions type of prop down the line. Uh, but I don't think that there's any reach now. We could look for maybe make the playoffs bet in a few months because then they could secure a wild card seed. But again, those odds haven't been posted yet and thus... Not really worthy of discussion. Let's take this over to the NBA, Gabe. A lot of news came out of the NBA yesterday. You're located in New York City right now, borough of Manhattan, where the Knicks play. One bridge away from Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn, and the Barclays Center, where he is now allowed to play, allowed to go in the locker room, allowed to stay unvaccinated, unmasked, and yet on the court. Let's avoid all the political talk about this and what's right and wrong and all that mambo jumbo. And let's skip to, does this now make the Nets the title favorites in the East? No. I watched them last night play the Grizzlies, right? And Kyrie and KD were going off last night. Great. Both had fantastic games. I think they both had 35 plus. And they lost to the Grizzlies. On some great efficiency too. Yeah, great. They played. They played fantastic, right? They played great, but unless 
Ben Simmons can come back and contribute a good amount, I can't see them beating the Bucks, and I definitely can't see them beating the Suns. So I know Vegas brought their odds down to now, was it 500? Plus 500? Plus 500 to win the NBA championship. They went from a plus uh, 280 to a um, plus 250 just to win the conference. So very little changing of the odds in terms of a Vegas standpoint. I do think Vegas has kind of planned for this all season long. So I don't think they were too shocked from an odd standpoint. So I don't think it's overly reactionary to what's happening on the court. I think this was kind of predicted and baked into the existing uh, odds that we were given as betters. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't see Brooklyn without Simmons as a championship team. And I'd even go as far to say, even if they do have Simmons, I don't know how quickly they can integrate him to getting up to speed to be a championship team. I mean, he's going to play a vital defensive role. Their defense is atrocious. Like, absolutely atrocious. They're playing this three-guard lineup of Kyrie, Mills, and Drogic. Um, Gib, I've noticed this thing that NBA uh, reporters, beat writers, commentators do. When they want to disrespect somebody in the NBA, they purposely start pronouncing their name wrong. I first heard it a few years ago when Stephen A. called, who I've heard him call Zaza a million times. But all of a sudden, he was Jaja Bajulia. And last night I was watching the Nets, and all of a sudden this guy's name went from Goran Dragic to Goran Dragic, right? And the level of disrespect that they were throwing at these Nets guards for their defensive rotations was just atrocious. And, and, and it was that bad on the court. I mean, they were getting cooked without jaw. What do you think their odds are to be in a seven-game series against the Bucs to, to, win, to win the East? Do you like them to beat the Bucs now? With Kyrie being able to play at home? No. I mean, no. I, I See, I think there's this weird mythical thing that's been happening with Kyrie this season where he's been away from the court so much and we're living in this age where basketball and everything's kind of a highlight reel and we consume our media through highlight plays and a few clips on uh, TikTok or Twitter here and there. And... We see incredible things that Kyrie can do with the ball and these incredible box scores that he can put up, like putting up 60 the other night. He's literally a wizard with the basketball in terms of dribbling. He's the dribble god. And I just think that we're kind of missing the point that for years and years, Kyrie has kind of not shown up in some of the biggest moments. He's often injured, and I don't know if you can really count on him to be there for four straight series. I mean, we he hasn't been there this season except for playing every other game, which lends itself to better health and less injury risk. So, yeah, he's healthy right now. I don't know how realistic that is. Same thing for KD. I mean, I said this on the pod with Austin a few days ago. It's, he's such a pleasure to watch play the game that we knock on wood. Don't ever want him to get hurt. But at the same time, he's often injured. So now, and then their third star is coming off an epidural. So you have three players who are coming either off of injuries or are often injured players and absolutely no depth and no rotation players. So I still take Milwaukee. I think when we get to the playoffs, you're going to have the Bucks. And you, you see Giannis right now plays a consistent 30 to 34 minutes every game, right on that 32 line pretty much every night. Same with Holiday, same with Middleton. That's going to bump up to 38 to 40. Like, we're going to get six extra minutes of the big three of the Bucks, and that's their next level that they're going to go up. 
So I actually, I I would lean Bucks. I think the odds are going to be Bucks minus one forty, maybe my, minus one fifty, depending on the Simmons situation. I think Bucks will be a slight favorite. They will have home court advantage, but I would also still favor the Bucks. Let me throw that back to you, Gib. I just kind of broke down what a Nets Bucks series looks like. Give me what a Nets versus Miami Heat series might look like. It's a good question. Um, speaking of the Heat, did you see last night with with Haslam and, and Jimmy and, and Spo? Can I ask you some quick questions about that before you give me the, the Nets Heat Absolutely. take? Absolutely. All right. Do you think that this was good or bad for Heat culture people? Great. Fantastic. I loved every second of it, right? Now, usually this happens in the locker room. But those kind of arguments and, and fiery chats now, some of it got out of hand, but like with, with like physical threats and stuff like that. But th- that's what sparks a team and, and really gets a team getting closer together rather than bringing apart, especially the Heat. Especially the Heat. Did Udonis coming in screaming over Spolstra and looking at Jimmy Butler and saying, I will beat your ass, I will beat your ass, I will beat your ass? Does Udonis, did he just make his entire season-long salary in just those 30 seconds? Yeah, he did. He, he is what Jawan Howard used to be, right? Like this, he's technically on the team, but he's an assistant coach, right? Exactly. Like this, like, um, yeah, of course. I mean, he, he has been an assistant coach for the past three years that puts on a jersey every day. That being able to stand up to Jimmy Butler, I think was, is key. The best player on the team you're sticking up for your coach, letting letting everybody on the team know this is this is Spo's team. Jimmy, you're the best player, but this is Spo's team. We're going to run how Spo wants to run this team. And then to that point, how does this make you feel about Spo? Like, did you know he had that fire in him to go back at a player? I thought he was pretty um, emotionally tame. Like, I didn't think he would openly challenge his players in public like that. I haven't seen him get super fiery in with his players on the sidelines i've heard the stories of in the film rooms what he goes and he goes crazy but i have not seen it did you think he had that in him to do it on live television like that um i didn't know if he had to do it publicly but i mean they've been not struggling but they're like they've been losing a couple of games in the last 10 i think he knows playoffs are coming up and you see some of the teams like the celtics are like they've won nine of the last 10 uh the bucks have won like eight of the last 10 He's trying to he's trying to secure that number one seat. He wants he wants home court. Did you That's see what he's the, trying to do? Did you see the replay of what happened right before the incident? No, I, I only saw this. Okay, the scene so what happened? They... What happens was uh, the Warriors go on like a nineteen to 0, 19 zero run against the Heat, uh, and Jimmy just clearly misses uh, an assignment and he misses a rotation. And the Warriors get an easy bucket out of it, and Spo starts going crazy. So yeah. I, I'm going to ask you: Is it more a reflection of what's actually happening in that game, or you think Spo had the wherewithal to be like, "This is what we need as a tone-setting moment for this team in the bigger picture of things"? Bigger picture. That's a bigger picture moment, right? They, they, they're they're still up about like I think two games in the East. They can afford to lose one, but he's trying to set the tone for the rest of the season to secure the number one seed. And lead into to the playoffs with with some momentum. Yeah, and I think the great coaches like that know how to pick their spots and pick their moments to say like, this is a blow up moment. This is a let me break my clipboard and get two texts and get ejected moment to rile up my team. I mean, 
coaches have long been purposely getting ejected to motivate their players. So this could have been something with some motivation and some preemptive thought behind it. And then a heat of the moment situation comes up, pun intended, you know, then the explosion happens and all that. Get breakdown for us uh, a Nets Heat playoff series. Who you taking? How many games you got it? What are some of the key matchups that you're looking for? Are we running back of PJ Tucker versus Durant showdown, or are we talking, you know, that Wanda Durant PJ conversation will always live in, in infamy on the sidelines? Um, what does that look like to you? What does that series look like? I'm gonna go if I, if I had to bet now, I would say that game go that goes seven, but I'm going I'm gonna lean towards the Heat, and the reason why is the Nets bench to me is horrendous, and the Heat have the sixth man of the year in Tyler Hero, right? Tyler Hero is going to come in, and in a seven-game series, he's going to impact at least two of the games or sway two of the games in the Heat favor. I don't know which games those will be, and it's going to it's going to tip the series towards the Heat. You know, I, I know the series is going to come down to, you know, people are going to think about the starters and think about KD and Kyrie and if Simmons can play. But, like, who on the, on the bench of the Nets is going to be able to stay in front of Hero? I don't think I don't I think no I think he's gonna be he would average 24 25 in that series and win them that series yeah I think that's very valid I I really don't know that's kind of one I probably wouldn't put a series bet down before watching the first game or two and I'd probably take the heat on game one at home um home favorites in the first game of the playoffs is a trend and model in NBA playoff betting that happens to be very reliable. Um, but yeah, so let's, I, 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 this Kyrie news is, like I said, I think it was baked in. I think it was expected. It's obviously a huge variable. It sets us up for the Simmons variable to be the next domino that can really make the East absolutely crazy. I mean, this is the best East we've had in our, in our lifetime, or my lifetime as a basketball fan. Uh, I remember all the years just knowing LeBron would be in the finals. And now it's like, who the heck is going to come out of this bloodbath of a situation where there's five, five teams that are finals contenders and the, the other three being, I'd say, the Bulls, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Toronto Raptors, which were all fantastic stories this year. Um, right. Gib, let's talk about some of the NBA awards races now. Yep. Uh, this has kind of been your bread and butter this season. So take a little victory lap here. Tell the listeners which bets you currently have in, why you chose some of those things, and how they're looking right now. So we'll start with MVP. Uh, start of the season, I think the odds for Embiid were plus 800. Put a bet in for Embiid to win MVP. I just thought the storyline was there uh, with, with Simmons, the whole Simmons thing happening at the start of the season. Put that in. That's looking really, really good right now. We'll talk more about how I'm handling uh, MB versus Jokic there. Then for sixth man of the year, I put in a bet at the beginning of the season with Tyler Hero. I heard Bill Simmons talk about how great and how much he loved Tyler Hero, so I put in a bet there. That was a great bet. Then most improved, um, I have Miles Bridges, which is not looking great right now. I think the odds are for Ja, but they have to explain what most improved means uh, before you know making... That award to me is a little tricky, but that's the person I put the bet on in the beginning of the season. And then Rookie of the Year, put a bet in on Evan Mobley, um, 
who's the heavy favorite right now over Caden and Scotty. Um, defensive player of the year, I did not put, I don't think I put a bet in uh, this year. Were those the only bets you took? Were there any other players? Like, did you take Embiid and someone else, like Steph, in the beginning of the season? Or were you only on Embiid? Were you only on Mobley? Are you only on Hero? How did you play that? Uh, I only did one one for each award. Uh, so right now I only have one bet for each. Uh, but I think I'm going to, for MVP, putting a hedge bet for, for Jokic because I actually like Jokic some of his stats stand out a little bit more to me right now, and they can make a little run at the end of the season. Might push him over Embiid. Um, so that would be the only bet that I'll put in uh, to, to hedge my bets right now. Okay. So, yeah, I would assume you did not put in multiple bets because, again, something I talked about on the last pod with futures, you don't want to have bets that are counterindicative of one another. So, again, if you have two different bets from the beginning of the season of who might be the sixth man of the year, like only one of those can win and the other one is guaranteed to lose. So you don't want to put two bets in where you know one is absolutely guaranteed to lose. You might as well just put the one you're leaning towards and hope that one hits. Like again, if you have Joel Embiid like Gibby does at that plus 800 and you also took, say, Jason Tatum as a long shot earlier in the season, what you're essentially doing is now giving yourself Joel Embiid at plus 700. Because by putting a unit on Tatum, you're reducing a unit of your payout on the back end of that Embiid hit, um, if it comes to be true. So, Gib, let's 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 talk about that. Should we start with most improved? Um, I heard you say we don't really know what most improved means, and I find that to be uh, a very true statement. I think most improved, we kind of don't know if it's. Like, what does this refer to? Is this the jump from nobody to role player, from role player to star player, or from star player to superstar player, right? So we kind of, you're always kind of lost in that mix of trying to decipher what the NBA beats and the voters are going to, you know, decide that they love and that they value the most. Gib, what do you think, just aside from what you're seeing in the odds, what do you think is the hardest jump to make from a player and what impresses you the most when you look back on a season, you say that guy to me is the most improved player. I think the hardest jump would probably be going from star to superstar. So the jump that Ja made this year, I think is the hardest. Cause I think when you think about superstar, how many of them in the league are there? M- maximum 15, probably closer to 10. I think that's the hardest jump. But, you know, in my heart, this award is typically the award that goes from when you go from bench player to a at least like a, an elite level start. Like that's that's what my, I always envision this award. Right. Like going to going from someone who contributed nothing to a big contributor. So from like that's what seventh, I always thought the history of the award. Seventh, eighth man on a team to like you can now be a number two or three piece on a title winning team. That for you speaks the most volumes. Like so, I guess that's why you might have put something on a Bridges this season. Right. Instead of like look, like look like Garland, I think Garland went from starter to star. Right. right. That that's that jump. He went to a star. He's not a superstar. He's a star, which is a huge jump, but. I still think that the, the the meaning of this award is not from not for a, a really good player to go to a great player. It's for 
and a bad to mediocre player who goes to a really good player. And that's to me that screams Miles Bridges. And and but this season so far, let's look looking at the odds we have. Jaw is the clear favorite, right? He's a minus right. one. He's a minus thirteen hundred uh, bet right now. Thirteen to one. That means you're betting one thousand and three hundred dollars to win back one hundred. Do you think he's a lock right now to win the award? If Jaw were to miss the rest of the season, does he still win this award? He's a lock because just because of the the storyline and how much people now love Jaw. Jaw was like. He was. He, people knew John. Like he's he's got potential. He's great. But now they're like, you gotta watch. He's must see TV. And that storyline is already embedded. He's got this lock, even if he doesn't play for the rest of the year. And these awards are often narrative driven. So yeah, I would agree. At this point, Jaw seems to be a lock. Let me read to you, Gib, the last few um, people who have won the most improved. I went back and dug up the old names. Last year it was Julius Randle. Obviously, that was a clear no-brainer. He made like three jumps in one season, and he was the fourth in MVP voting as well. Um, prior to that, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, Victor Oladipo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler, our guy Joran Dragic, and Paul George. So I think we're right on pace with picking Morant this year that it really is a star to superstar jump. It's who's dominating the headlines, who has six of the most eight uh, sports center Instagram posts and, and Twitter posts of their highlights, which is jaw this season. And yeah, I would agree. I think at this point, even if jaw gets injured, which he is injured right now, he's sitting the, the last few games. Uh, he'd be sitting tonight against the Indiana Pacers. He sat last night against the Brooklyn Nets. But yeah, Ja Ja has this award hands down. I think, like I said, he can sit the rest of the season and still win this award. So I would feel comfortable even at laying this huge juice. I personally would still feel comfortable putting a few units on Ja Morant because I think this is a guaranteed payout. I agree. I agree. I think the I'm I'm surprised that the odds are still even present for this award. Yeah. When they, you know, they put that little lock sign when they when they know it's. I wonder when that when that will happen, right? Like, what what are the odds? That they, is it ten thousand minus ten thousand? It could be whatever. I mean, they they'll yeah. they'll they'll take odds minus fifty thousand minus seventy five thousand. But again, I think it's just when we've hit that point where it's a point of no return. Right. So clearly, at this point, there's someone thinking that something could be done. Maybe I could get injured and miss the whole season and. Darius Garland currently sits in second place, so maybe he goes on a huge run and, you know, the Cavs win their last nine games of the season. I don't even think that does it, to be honest. I don't even think that would tip the scales. And that's the reason why I would still feel comfortable laying the juice on Ja. Gib, let's go to the next one. Um, sixth man of the year. You said you have Tyler Hero. Do you know what odds you have Hero at? Are you able to look that up for us quickly? Um, I have the odds from a couple of, uh, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was like, mine, it was minus 20,000 at some point. He was, he was clear lock at some point. He's currently uh, minus 20,000. I'm, I'm wondering what you have your ticket at. Oh, what I have my ticket at. I can look that up. One second. So I noticed that Hero, like we said, is a minus 20,000. That means you're betting $20,000 to win $100 back. An extremely low payout. 
this would have to be a lock for anyone to even consider betting it. A, uh, Gib, what, what are the odds that you have? I see that you're ready. Uh, plus 200 at the start of the season. So you have two to one odds on Hero. Okay. Risky bet at the time, having not too much juice on one player to, to come alive. But again, six man's one of those awards where only 32 teams have one six man. So this isn't a, a race between everyone in the NBA. This is a race between everyone within their role on that team in the NBA. Um, but Who's I, second currently? Huh? Who is second? And third and sixth man. Okay, so I was going to read down the list. The The rest is Kelly Oubre is second. Kevin Love is third. Well, Kev, Kevin Love and Kelly Oubre are tied for second, actually. Montrez, Buddy Heald, and Jordan Clarkson come in after that. I think given the rest of those names, given the Heat sitting in first place, this is a clear no-brainer situation where Tyler Hero is going to win the award. Another thing that I thought was very interesting, Gib, was that Tyler Hero is not even listed in the most improved category this season. I mean, he's clearly one of he's clearly taken a jump or two. He should be somewhere in the list of players. Let me read you the players that you could bet on for most improved that I don't even think compared to the leap that Hero made. Anthony Simons, Tyrese Maxey, Miles Bridges, Desmond Bain. They all have I mean Bain's Bain's been incredible this year and he's definitely an improved person. But I don't know if he's made the same jump that Hero has. I mean, Hero's like a 20-5-5 and five and five guy on the Heat, and he has their highest usage and their most shot attempts on the number one team in the East. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think he made the jump from good player to border, borderline star player, right? I don't think there's the story. Again, the most improved a lot of time is storyline as well, as we said. And it's, there's not really that storyline for him, right? He's still coming off the bench. But a couple years ago, he had those huge finals games. So everyone remembers him from the finals in the in the bubble, right? And they're like, this yep. guy's a this guy's kind of a stud. Um, but then the next year kind of had like a little down year. And then uh, this year is coming back to what people saw from him in that finals game. So there's no storyline. So that's why I don't think he's in there. I also think it's one of those situations where you can see that this guy is going to win sixth man of the year and the NBA is not going to give him multiple awards. So we've kind of baked in that we're going to give him sixth man and then thus reduced his odds in most improved because Hero's already got his award for the season. Um, taking something at minus 20,000 is something I've never done in my entire life. I see Gibby shaking his head no. I don't even care if Tyler Hero got... Uh, injured for the rest of the season I do think he is going to win the award regardless that doesn't mean I'm betting this that's too much exposure for me to open myself up to for such a small payout that again like I don't know why FanDuel has a bet like this even posted if you're going to play anything you have to play hero but it would have to be super small and be taken pennies as a payout because that if you were going to bet to win any sort of real money on a minus 20,000 you're opening yourself up to just wild exposure that, like, say Hero comes out with some crazy scandal in the next few weeks. Like, I wouldn't want that. Like, that would be what you're avoiding. Uh, and I think given the the juice and the vig, you want to avoid any type of conspiracy or controversy. Do we even need to keep talking about this one, or should we move on to Defensive Player of the Year, Gib? Let's go to Defensive Player of the Year. All right. So the odds right now for Defensive Player of the Year, these ones have been shifting around by the day. It shows to me that this is very undecided about 
who's going to be the award winners. I certainly have my ideas. Currently, we have Bam Adebayo as the favorite. 1.5 to 1 odds. He's a plus 150. Rudy Gobert comes in tied with Mikael Bridges at number two with plus 270. And my guy Giannis Antetokounmpo is coming in fourth with plus 750. Why do you think Bam's the favorite, Gib? Is it just because the Heat are the number one team in the East? Yeah, I think it has to be that, right? Um, you know, I'm not really great with defensive statistics and how all that works. But, you know, Miami's always been known as a great defensive team. He, like when you watch him in person or watch the games, he clearly impacts the games uh, on the defensive side, on the boards. Um, yeah, this award, this award, like, I is always difficult, right? Like, every year that I remember, I kind of disagreed with Defensive Player of the Year. Like, Rudy Gobert winning it last year when then he got exposed in the playoffs because he couldn't guard a, a guard. This award, like, it, it, I always feel like the writers get it wrong. I feel pretty similarly for this year. I don't know why Bam sits at the favorite right now. Certainly, he's an incredibly versatile defender. He's probably the best playoff defender we have in the league, uh, minus maybe Anthony Davis. But he's, you know, street clothes right now and probably, again, after he starts playing. But again, I'm still going with Rudy Gibb. Like, I think I've seen the statistics that the Jazz are like the 13th or 14th, 15th best defense, depending on the day that you look in the league. But as long as Rudy's on the floor, they are the best defense in the league. And, I, and I'm looking at the Heat, and I know that they're sitting in first place in the East, but they have the third best defense in the East. I mean, if we're going to go with just the best, defend, the best defensive team, I would look more towards Robert Williams or Marcus Smart or picking somebody from the Celtics. I wouldn't really be pegging Bam as the favorite. It, it makes me a little curious why he's the favorite right now. I understand he's such an amazing defender in real life, but I don't know if the statistics back it up besides the wins. Do you think that there is voter fatigue on Rudy Gobert at this point? I think it's a combination of, yes, there has to be some sort of voter fatigue. And then there's this second component of, if you guys hear my dog, Bronny, barking in the background, she's going crazy. Um, so, yeah, yes, there is voter fatigue. But there's also the second component, Gibby. Players in the league don't necessarily respect Rudy's defense. I mean, you heard this Anthony Edwards interview a few weeks or months ago when he said that he's not scared at all when he sees Rudy Gobert in the lane. That that means nothing to him. That there's plenty of other guys that face him in the league, but Rudy Gobert is certainly not one of them. And when he was asked who the best rim protector in the NBA is, he said Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, picked the unicorn, which again, not not a terrible choice. He's, Porzingis is actually a pretty decent high-end rim protector in the league, but like the players themselves don't even fear Rudy, and now the voters have seen Rudy get played off the court in the playoffs the last few years. That I'm just wondering, the regular season, the regular season statistics will always back up Rudy as being the best defender in the NBA, but I'm worried if we're just too tired of the narrative around it. I agree. Um, what do you think about Mikael Bridges and his odds to win? Um, you know, because he's kind of, you know, he's known as a defender on that team. Is there anything like he can do or a defender can do in general right now, 10 games left, to really 
propel themselves ahead of Bam. I honestly think Rudy's still going to get it. I would be putting my money on Rudy. I'm not putting any money myself because of, like we said, there might be voter fatigue. This is a very narrative-based award. Defensive statistics are something that's very hard to figure out what the actual impact for statistics level is. Uh, you could talk about plus-minus all you want, but if you're the best defender on a team, you're going against the best guy. So again, if you're talking about P.J. Tucker's defense in the playoffs last season, he still Durant was still putting up 40 or 50 on him every night. But he was still doing a really good job because he was making it hard. So when you just look at the box scores and you try and project backwards about what the defense looked like based on the, st- the statistics, it's a really hard thing to pull off. And for that reason, it's really hard from a betting perspective to figure out where people's motivations are going to go. Gib, I'm not surprised that you avoided this bet preseason. It's one of those that I would generally tend to avoid myself because it's really hard to, like I said, decide what metrics matter the most. Um I don't think either of us are looking to play anything in this Defensive Player of the Year category anytime soon. Nope. All right. Are we at MVP? Do you want to touch no. on Coach of the Year or no? Sure. Let's, we can do Coach of the Year. I think Monty is the clear favorite. I think it's Monty is on a field of his own right now because not only was he – robbed of it last year when they somehow gave it to Tibbs. But he's also nine games up on the rest of the field. He's dealt with Chris Paul having an injury, and the Suns are 8-2 and two in their last 10. Uh, he's dealt with Aiton's contract issues. He's dealt with the front office of the Suns having these uh, allegations of misconduct. And he's dealt with Devin Booker missing some time with COVID. So... I really think he's had everything on his plate. He has amazing player development in Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. He's winning the most games. He's dealing with on-the-court and off-the-court stuff. He's dealing with health issues. I mean, there's no world in where I see Monty Williams not winning this award. I agree. I think he, I think he's going to end up winning it. But when I, you know, the, the only thing I'll say is when I think about this award, you're always thinking about who's going to get the most Who's getting the most out of the least, right? That's what a coach is doing. The Suns came into the season with very high expectations. Now, they may have exceeded those high expectations, but if I if I wanted – if can I, I had a vote – Can I cut you off, Kev? Can I cut yeah. you off? Let's, let's do a fun game. Can I start guessing who you think is doing the most with the least? Yeah. I'm going to go first, J.B. Bickerstaff and the Cleveland Cavaliers. He to me he's the fit. he he should be coach of the year. What is he? I nailed that. What is he in the odds? Uh, I think he's plus one thousand right now. And and Monty's like a heavy favorite, right? Minus a thousand. Okay. Is is Bickerstaff the number two in the odds? No, uh, Spo is number two, and Taylor Jenkins. I was going to say third. Taylor Jenkins was the other person I was going to guess, but Memphis definitely has a better team than Cleveland if we're talking about all around players. So, yeah, go ahead and give us the case for J.B. Bickerstaff. So we talked about Darius Garland's jump, right? Part of a jump is is a coach's job, right? He helps take Garland from where he was to where he is now. That's point one. Two, Colin Sexton's missed the, almost the entire season, right? Entire he season. Came to, entire season. He came to the season probably as the second or third best player on the team. Uh, I don't know exactly what his role was, but he – What's his name? Uh, Bickerstaff had to change the entire 
his entire focus of the team centered around Garland and took guys who, like, you don't even think about. Like, you think about, like, Seti Osmond, right? You think Kev Love's kind of washed up now. Marketing. Um, Jared Allen's an all-star now, right? Rubio early in the season before Rubio got hurt. Rubio, right? And then you got to bring up, then you bring on Rondo. So he's dealt with a lot, right? Now you're telling Kev Love, who is likely a Hall of Famer, right? We can debate that later, but you tell him you're coming off the bench. You're coming off the bench, right? How many, how many coaches would, how many coaches would be able to do that, you know, and, and be successful at it? Especially Love had no interest in coming off the bench last season. Yeah. Um, and so I just think I think the job that J.B. Bickerstaff has done has been incredible. And I'm really happy because he's he's jumped around a bunch of a bunch of teams when he was in Memphis. I think he kind of got a short end of the stick there. Um, so really happy for him. But I think I think if I was to put a bet here, it would be Bickerstaff hoping Cleveland makes a late you know, a late run in the season, wins seven out of the last ten. Phoenix loses a couple of games, and then you could you could see uh, bigger setup winning it. You still you think this award is up for grabs? Yes. Okay. And are you willing to put your money where your mouth is and put a little bit of juice on Bickerstaff, or are you personally going to hold off? You think there's potential narrative for it to be there, or you think it's actually worth the play? Um, I'm not going to put I'm not going to put my money where my mouth is because I think of. I think part of the reason, as you said, Monty's going to get this award is because he should have got it last year. Yeah. Voters don't forget. I mean, there's all these things. This is not a straight metrics award. This is not a winning and loss kind of bet that you could place where there's an objective result at the end. This is a subjective thing with narrative and opinions and feelings. So I don't think people forget that just one season ago, Monty had this award in his hands, taken from him, and then the playoffs just justified what we already thought that the Knicks were in over their heads, and the Suns are a legit title contender. I mean, they took down AD, LeBron, and the Lakers, and they ultimately lost to the Bucs in, in, was it in seven? When, last year? Yeah. I can't remember. I believe it was. Um, okay, so now, now let's go over to Rookie of the Year, Gib. Yep. You have a bet in on... Evan Mobley, third yes, pick in the draft. I, the mini Tim Duncan. Do you have the odds that you currently have your Mobley pick at? Plus 550. Plus 550. Oh, that's a great one. All right. Now let me ask you that all-important question. Do you think that Mobley can miss the rest of the season and still win the award as of now? No, I don't think he. I, I think there's a chance he loses this. I think it's a very, very low shot, um, and I think it's if Cade Cunningham keeps playing at the level he's do he is now and bring maybe picks it up a, a notch, uh, which they might put the ball in his hand a little bit more, and then Mobley misses the rest of the season. Cade can can win this award, but I think it would take a very drastic, drastic thing happening, and I don't I don't see that happening. Is Scotty Barnes still an eligible candidate, or you think this is now between Cade and Evan? This is a, this is this is Cade versus Evan. Um, Scotty, he had he has some like great moments middle of the season, I believe it was, um, and then I think he's been and he's had a couple of good games recently, but he just he doesn't he doesn't have the numbers 
um, that Cade has, and I don't think he has the impact that Mobley has. Okay, so let me give you a quick breakdown of the current odds right now. On FanDuel, and this is this is a great example, listeners, of why you should be always line shopping and have multiple accounts and be searching through multiple sports books for which line you're going to play because you might have the exact same bet with drastically different odds. Gibby, right now I'm seeing that FanDuel has the odds as Evan Mobley as a minus 400 favorite. Scotty Barnes as the second place candidate as plus 500. And Cade Cunningham coming in third as the plus 600. Whereas DraftKings, on the other hand, has Evan Mobley as a minus 900 favorite. Cade Cunningham as a plus 550 in second place. And Scotty Barnes plus 700 in third place. Why do you think these odds are so drastically different from each place? Is this award still really up in the air that much? It's a good question. Um, I, I tend to agree with DraftKings odds for for what you just said, for the odds that they gave. Um, but in terms of the difference, I mean, you know, it goes to show like, yeah, there's probably, there's probably some wiggle room here, but I think the wiggle room is more with the second place rather than first place, right? And there is no, there is no award for second place. And there's no bet for determining who ends up in second place. I mean, you do have ranked choice of voting at the end of the season, so we will know who actually comes in first, second, and third. But there is no way to actually bet that on the sites that we have so far. Uh, Kip, I actually feel like there is value in this one. I'm a huge Evan Mobley supporter. I think he is the clear favorite to win this race. I think it is a lock right now. I think there's nine games left in the NBA season, and I think Evan Mobley could miss the remaining nine games and still win Rookie of the Year as a lock. Like like we talked about, the, the Cavaliers have overperformed, albeit having so many obstacles and injuries in their way. Evan Mobley has been that force all season long now that Jared Allen's hurting out. He's probably been the most steady force. Garland's missed a bunch of time sporadically. So Evan Mobley has been that steadying presence all year long for them. And they've been a fantastic story. And they are going to make the playoffs. I mean, they're going to finish as a six seed or maybe seven, eight in the play-in. But again, they're going to be a top eight team. They're likely going to make the playoffs. Uh, Toronto's probably going to make the playoffs too, even though they're on the outskirts. And Cade Cunningham and the Detroit Pistons are going to have the top lottery odds in the NBA being a bottom four team with their record. So I really think this award comes down to impact on the floor and narrative. And up until the All-Star break, which was 75% into the season this year, it was an absolutely Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley. I believe the odds sat at minus 4,000 for Evan Mobley going into All-Star break on these websites. That if you have a FanDuel account right now and you're hearing this, Go lay some money on Evan Mobley at minus 400. I mean, this is crazy that it's sitting there like that. He's the clear favorite. He is going to win this award. He has the statistics and the narrative behind him. He has the record. And yeah, I think it's... Is there any part of you that wants to hedge this or you're just letting this ride out? I'm riding this one. Yeah, this one. I don't one, think I need to hedge it. There's no need to hedge. All right, let's take this discussion to the MVP, where this one's going to be interesting because you have a Joel Embiid ticket at plus 800 right now. 
He now sits at the favorite at minus 165 with Nikola Jokic coming in at plus 165. Giannis third at plus 1,000. It seems that the books have made this a two-person race between Giannis, I mean, between Jokic and Joel. Gib, like you said, you have a plus 800 ticket. Who do you think is actually in the lead right now? I do think Embiid's in the lead right now. Um, and I think that has to do with both of them are putting up fantastic numbers, right? They're, the, the numbers they're putting up are unreal. Historic. You know. Historic numbers, right? Their, their PER is above 31, each of them, averaging nearly 30 points. Uh, you know, Jokic has a little more rebounds and assists. You know, Embiid um, is, you know, a little bit more points than than Jokic. But I think Embiid has had to deal with a lot more this season and that part of the narrative. MVP is so narrative-based, as we've talked about with other awards, even more so MVP is narrative-based. That's why it was so hard back in the day for like MJ to win MVP. You know, he's only he won I think five, and then LeBron's won four. But LeBron's been the best player in the league probably 14, 15 years he's been in the league, but only won uh, four MVPs. And I think because of this narrative that Embiid has, he's still the favorite. But I think Jokic has the the firepower to still make a run at this at, at this award so i go back and forth back and forth back and forth in my mind about this one when i listen to people who actually have votes comment on it they all say the same thing Embiid is a slight favorite but i would be voting for Jokic myself and i'm like why is everyone saying this that they'd be voting for Jokic themselves but Embiid's the favorite then what makes Embiid the favorite And here are what I think makes Embiid the favorite. Like you said, he's dealt with a lot more in terms of drama. Um, They've both equally have had to be the complete focal and center point of everything their team does. Jokic has a little bit more on his plate offensively. Embiid has a little bit more responsibility defensively. I know Jokic's defensive numbers are a lot better than where they used to be. And they're now sit just right behind guys like Gobert and Embiid and Bam and Giannis. But Embiid is still one of those top five rim protectors in the NBA that we cannot say that true for Jokic. The second thing is the team's record. I mean, historically, there's been two uh, MVPs, Gib, who have not gotten a top two seed in the NBA in the last like 30 years. It was Russell Westbrook in his triple-double season. And the only time before that that a, t- that a player on not a number one or two seed in each conference was all the way back to Carl Malone when he played for the Jazz. And they were a three seed, and he won the MVP. So I think we're looking at a situation where the voters are going to reward winning and stick with this long-term tradition that you pick a guy from one of these top teams. And therefore, I think Joel is going to finish as a two or three seed. And I think Denver and Jokic is going to finish as likely the sixth seed in the West. Being a two seed in the East has to be more impressive because it's a harder conference than being the sixth seed in the West. And when the statistics and the numbers and the narrative and all that is so close, I think the standings is what pushes Embiid over the edge and gives him 
the MVP this season. However, this one is definitely not a lock yet. I mean, if Embiid were to go down, if Jokic were to go down, that would then swing it dramatically. Um, Embiid certainly has a history of injury risk. Gib, are you feeling confident that you're like, I want to let this one roll, or you want to hedge it? How? Let's start with this. Let's do this in math terms. What percent confident are you that Embiid wins the award? 75% confident that he wins the award. Um, I am going to hedge this bet. Um, and that's just because when when I stare at like the raw data and like the, the advanced numbers and watch and when I watch Jokic, I think he's going to take it to the next level for these next 10 games. Um, and that scares me. Uh, so I'm going to hedge it. Um, I'll probably... I don't know. Twenty five percent of what I think I'd I'd make from Embiid is what I'll is what I'll hedge it hedge it with. That's why. That's a, ultimately where I was going. I was wondering if you're going to take this to a. I'm um, you know there's there's three ways to hedge really, and these are the three ways. You can either make sure that you at least get your initial bet on Embiid back. So say you bet fifty dollars. Now you're betting. You know since. Jokic is a little bit under uh, the favorite. He's a little bit plus money. You'd be betting like $35 or $40 to win that $50 back. So the first hedge option would be bet as minimal as you can just so that you break even if you lose the bet, but you maximize your earnings if Embiid were to win. The second way to do it would just be to call an even split and say, okay, I want to be able to not think about this for the rest of the season. So I'm going to calculate where my odds would then be equal and my payouts would be the same, essentially, if I hedge this bet. And then you're looking to put, in that situation, probably $300 on Jokic um, to win. Like In that, again, we could do the numbers. I don't need to do them out on the show. If you have Embiid at plus 800, you would then put a few units on a plus 165 to then equate the odds. The second thing, and again, the third thing that you can do is do what you what me and Gibby just did, which is determine what you think the expected value odds are going to be. So Gibby says he thinks Embiid is going to be a 75% chance to win, so he'll hedge his Jokic accordingly to that 25% mark that he thinks Jokic has a chance to win, so that he's equating his odds to the real-life percentages that he's putting on the race. Does that make sense, Gib? Makes sense. One question I want to ask about this award is how much do you think in an MVP race, this MVP race in particular, last year will impact this year's award? And I ask that because if you remember back to last year, it was a two-person MVP race halfway through the season between Braun and and, and Embiid. Both get hurt. Now Jokic gets it. And I think voters have a hard time with back-to-back MVPs, right? You know, Steve Nash, like the, that narrative, people are always upset about that one, and Shaq should have won won that one. And it's rare you see back-to-back MVPs. So, question to you is, how much do you think that's influencing right now, and should that factor into my decision whether or not to put a bet in? Yes, it should factor into your decision, because no, it has no impact on what the outcome is. There, There is this huge misconception 
within NBA MVPs that this whole back-to-back is hard to do when there's voter fatigue. That is simply untrue for the NBA MVP. Let me read you some stats, Gib. Between 1981 and 1992, I'm going to read you in order the MVP winners. Okay. 81-82, Moses Malone. 82-83, Moses Malone. 83, 84, 84, 85, 85, or 85, 86. Larry Bird wins all three. Then Magic Johnson wins one. Then Michael Jordan wins one. Then Magic Johnson wins two. And then Michael wins two. So in the span of 12 years in the NBA, we had two people get three MVPs and one person get two. uh, Sorry, in the span of 11 years in the NBA, we had three players get three MVPs and one player get two. Since that time, Gib, we've had Nash do it. We've had Giannis do it. We've had Steph do it. We've had Duncan do it. And we've had LeBron do it twice. I think that there's a fear amongst voters, but that fear, I mean, I think there's a fear amongst betters. But that fear is not true amongst voters. So, yes, how does this impact your hedging opportunity? I would be extra scared of of Jokic winning this award, and I would forget that he won last season and thinking that impacts voter fatigue because voter fatigue is a myth when it comes to NBA MVP. Yeah, I think the the what people think, if you win back-to-back MVPs, you're put into this stratosphere. Right. You're yeah. in the pantheon. You're in the pantheon, as Bill Simmons says, right? You're at you're at the you're at the top, right? And do you think that Jokic, who didn't make NBA seventy five, which is a which is baffling, um it's blasphemy. It is is in that. And like I think there was Giannis definitely is in there, MJ, uh Bird, all those guys that you mentioned, they're a hundred percent in there, right? Moses Malone included. Jokic, Steve Nash is the only one they're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if he's in there. And Jokic, right now, I would say, I don't know. He's higher than Nash, but I don't think he's I don't think he's in that level. I think he is. I think it's a matter of time, and I think Jokic is a premier player in the NBA. I think he's literally impossible to stop offensively. And I think he's one of those bodies that is so skilled and is pretty durable. Like he played all uh 71 last year and i think he's gonna play like 80 this year uh he's one of the most durable players in the nba i don't see him slowing down at all for the next 10 seasons like this guy's he moves slow he does not rely on his footwork or athleticism he relies on his vision and his uh finesse and i don't think that's going to change i think his game is going to age well i think he's going to learn how to use his body i think this season he came in more fit than he's ever been and I think we're about to watch this guy dominate for the next eight to ten years that I would be very not scared of giving him a back-to-back MVP. I think people were a little hesitant to give Giannis a back-to-back MVP. And I think after Giannis got that second MVP and then flamed out against the Toronto Raptors, they started that series up 2-0, and then Kawhi and the Raptors won four straight. Remember that? And then they ended up winning the chip. And everyone was like, oh, we shouldn't have given Kawhi that. I mean, we shouldn't have given Giannis that back-to-back MVP. And look what happened now. I mean, no one's debating Giannis as a Pantheon player. And I think we're just a few months or years away from feeling the same things about Jokic. I think 
in order for Jokic to be a Pantheon player, we can we can we can do a whole podcast on our our Pantheon. I think that would be fun to do. Um, you have to win a ship, right? And if he if he wins a championship that in the next eight to ten years, and I think they I think they got a shot, then yeah. And you need a and you need a moment. Like Giannis has that fifty point moment, right? You need a moment and you need a ship. Giannis also has that insane block in the finals, and he also has that crazy alley-oop where Drew Holiday ripped the ball, and then they went running, and then the alley-oop. Oh, my God, that and-one alley-oop. Chris Paul fouls him, essentially puts the series at rest, and gives him the knee injury. People forget about that. Oh, I will never forget about that. I went crazy. I was, like, about to take my shirt off in my room. That was wild. It was. All right. um, Before we get out of here, Gib, few things who you got coming out of the west i think it's uh i I don't think anyone's on the same level as phoenix i think chris paul coming back tonight uh he'll get his feet back he'll be a little more rested as long as he doesn't get hurt which you know is a big if if with chris paul in the playoffs they're 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 way better than every other team and including the warriors i don't think there's any other team in in their on their level so i'm gonna go with I'm going to go with Phoenix to, to win the West. All right, and I sent you this question. Uh, we're not going to get into our West full West conversation today because we're already at that hour mark. Uh, hopefully, we'll do it soon. Maybe we'll bring you and Austin back in, and we'll all do it together. But here's my question, because this is one I was very interested in your answer. What's the one biggest variable in the Western Conference this postseason besides from health? I know we're going to talk about is Chris Paul healthy? Is Steph healthy? Is Draymond healthy? Is Clay healthy? You know, we're going to go through the list. Is Kawhi and Paul George healthy? Is Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray healthy? I could keep going. What yep. else besides health is that in most important variable in the Western Conference? Yeah, I, I thought about this for a while. And injuries, obviously, is going to play a huge role. And if, if, I, if I was to pick one team to beat Phoenix, it would be Memphis. And the question I had is, does Memphis's lack of experience in the playoffs like is that gonna is that gonna you know hurt them in the end? And I think the answer is no, and it, it, we'll have to see. But that, I think that's the biggest factor: is how much how much of a factor is Memphis's lack of experience in the playoffs going to impact their performance? I mean, Memphis has gone on record saying they want all the smoke they yeah. can handle. So, and they will climb up the chimneys and they will come for that smoke. So I think that's a great question. I mean, they certainly aren't scared, but there's there's been this one thing. There's this thing that happens towards the NBA in the NBA towards the end of the season every year where everyone starts talking about, oh, these this game has playoff intensity. This game has playoff intensity. Let me say one thing, and I hope the Memphis Grizzlies hear this loud and clear. There's been no games this season that have playoff intensity yet. It's not a thing. I mean, people want to point to that maybe that Brooklyn versus 76ers game where Embiid and KD and Harden were snarling at each other. But no one's, you know, throwing elbows on loose balls yet. No one's kicking up uh, when they're on the ground and throwing a leg. It gets dirty in the playoffs. It gets intense. It gets physical. We get some elbows. We get some blood. We get some grease. We haven't had those things yet. Uh, I know the Grizzlies have been the most one of the most physical teams in the NBA, we will see if that keeps up in the playoffs or we'll see if other teams come up to their level. I think that's going to be one of the key things to watch. Give. I do think that's a great variable. Interesting that you think uh, Grizzlies have the best shot of knocking off the Phoenix Suns. I think it's the Warriors. 
it's it, you know there's too many question marks for me with the with the Warriors um, this season, right? There are. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of issues. But I got to tell you, I love Jordan Poole. I love him. <laughs> I agree. I, I love Jordan Poole. And if there's one reason that gives me hope for them to be able to win is that they, like, fully healthy, they can bring Jordan Poole off the bench. And he is, you know, I think he's got the talent level, if not better than Tyler Hero, right? He's got that kind. He's got it, right? And so if you're able to bring him off the bench, they, they got a shot. But there's just too many question marks with all the injuries. I can't. I can't. I don't think Clay has his legs next year, though. I think the Warriors are going to be a problem. Yeah, this year the West is a little bit bleak because of the injuries, because of the Clippers, because of AD and the street clothes Lakers, because of uh, the Nuggets guys being down. There's been a lot of injuries that make the West as weak as it's been in probably 20 years. But give to that last point, I just want to say before we get out of here, what I wrote down about Jordan Poole. Uh, I wrote down in my notes, just throwing this out there, Jordan Poole is plus 24,000. Eighth best odds for most improved player. I'm not saying bet on this guy, but I do just want to throw out there he's an absolute stud, and him and Hero are the clear best players on this list. So yeah, when we were talking about Ubre and the Montrez Harrell and whatever, you know Jordan Poole is all the way down there, but he's way better than those guys, and we're going to see it taken off in the next few seasons. I think next year, looking at Poole maybe to to be a most improved target. I'm also targeting R.J. Barrett. I'll tell you that. Next season for most improved, I think he's that prime candidate to make that leap. I think he might have the team. I think Julius might be gone, and I think it might be Barrett's season in New York. I like it. You know, I hope for that as a Knicks fan. I'm praying, right. I'm You're over there in Manhattan rooting for the Knicks. <laughs> All right, Gib, thank you so much for coming on. I, I assume you're going to be a frequent guest on The Advantage. Appreciate the time you took today, and uh, we'll, we'll see you back here soon. Anytime, anytime.